40inbox.com here where we help you master money and get out of debt. So we're going to be reacting to a few uh, personal finance stories and questions, which are going to be pretty interesting. And you can submit your own at 40inbox.com. So laid off, three days later, they want me back. So the story time. I work as an IT in the desktop engineering department. My original company, which we will call Company A, got bought by a bigger company, which is Company B. I was working with Company A for three years before we got bought. Nine months in with Company B, they decided to lay us off. Reason being, Company B is now outsourcing their IT so they don't need us anymore. About 90% of us in the department was let go, and the rest remained to company B, and some went to the external IT management services. So here's the thing. I was let go. I got severance for a good three months, and on top of that, I just applied to my state's unemployment benefits. Three days after unemployment, my ex-director from company B called me asking me back to work with the external IT and he will send my resume to them. Reason being, one of my ex-colleagues who now works for external IT just resigned because everything was a crap show already. So, looks like they panic and they need someone to fill the position in. They need someone who knows the work already, obviously, and they asked me. So I asked my ex-colleague how much he was offered on the external IT, and it was not what we expected. I was making $55,000 a year. I don't know how much he was making, but he was offered 63k to transition to external IT. For me, that's low for someone who has more than five years of experience, especially someone living here in California. Oh Lord, yeah. See, $63,000 in California, honestly, is probably pretty horrible, right? Like the cost of living in California is absolutely disgusting. And if you're a one-income person, meaning like you're not living with someone or you're not with someone who's making at least the same amount as you. 63K is pretty tough in California, especially depending on where in California. So here's my question. What tips can you give me so I can ask for a really, really good deal without making me look desperate or over-exaggerating my demand? I'm thinking I want to be rebadged move all my previous PTO and sick time to external IT company, benefits right away because I heard my benefits won't kick in after a year, and I want to ask 70K. I feel like that's a reasonable price for someone who has five years of experience, including three years of experience in the company who knows the work, and I live in California where everything is basically expensive, especially I'm taking care of both of my parents. Well, I mean, here's the thing, right? The company's not exactly going to care about this part. So don't even bother putting this into like the request to like get more money. The company does not care, right? So they are old. Oh, Jesus. They are old. Crap, yeah. They are old. Talk about the immigrant life. So is it too much? I don't want to turn down the offer too because I know I would lose my severance. 
and state unemployment, unemployment benefits, right? So yeah, any professional and logical tips would be greatly appreciated. And if you have any script that I need to study, send them my way. LOL. Thanks in advance. Also, I'll be getting the call very soon. So here's the thing, right? They basically screwed you over, kicked you to the curb, kind of slapped you around a few times, and then also gave you money to go away from them, right? And now they're wanting you to come back. Right, like think about if you were like in a relationship, you got dumped, slapped, and given money, and then kicked out the door. Right? Would you really want to go back to the company that did that to you? That's one thing to really think about, right? Because again, you still got three months of severance, so. You're also in the IT field with a decent amount of experience, and you're also in California, which is very tech heavy, meaning you should be able to find a pretty decent paying tech job, right? I mean, there's IT guys and girls and all that stuff making six figures a year pretty easily without even this amount of experience, right? So, if I was in this person's position, that's the route that I would go. I would use those three months to go find a much better-paying job in that state, or potentially be willing to move to a different state, right? If, like, if there's nothing necessarily tying me down. But the thing is, you know, they're talking about their, you know, older parents and they got to take care of them. So probably find something closer in this area, maybe close to home, right? So that you have a little bit more time to be able to help out your parents and be a little bit easier on you and on the rest of your family. So that's the road that I would probably go. Look for something kind of closer to home that pays the same amount or a little bit more. Hopefully, a little bit more because the thing is, yeah, fifty k or fifty five k a year that this person was making in California is basically nothing. Because you got to think about the amount of taxes that they're paying on fifty five thousand dollars a year. Like they're making horrible amounts of money in California, right? So that's not the road that I would go. I would definitely try to go for seventy thousand dollars or higher per year in California. Especially in the IT field, like it seems really weird to be making so little in the IT field, right? Like people in the IT field can easily make like 80k plus, especially in California. Like I don't understand why you're making such a little amount of money for your experience, right? But if you were for some reason to go back to basically your boyfriend that slapped you around and kicked you out of the door and gave you money for it. I would ask for not outlandish things, but things to where I couldn't really say no to it. Right? I'd be asking more like seventy-five, eighty thousand dollars because if they really need you and they really need this experience right away, I would ask more like eighty k plus all your benefits immediately put in, and you'll start working today. Right? Like I, that's the way I would do it. Right? It's like, look, I could start working right now, but you need to check off all these, like this list that I have. You need to check off each, every single one of them, and then I'll go do it. Because the thing is, you still have three months of severance, even if the unemployment for some reason doesn't work because California's unemployment thing is super screwed up. I'd still rather deal with three months of severance, looking for a better-paying job, 
so that I don't have to go back to the company that basically screwed me over and kicked me to the curb than to go back to that company and not make enough money to justify it, right? Like, if you were to, like, if I was in this person's position, I would only go back to that company that screwed me over if they paid a pretty penny for it, right? Because you got to think about it. Like, you literally got screwed over by this company. And now you can go back. Like, some people might have different views on that. Feel free to give your thoughts, right? And again, feel free to submit your own personal finance story or question at 40inbox.com. But here's the thing, right? Like, if I was in this person's position, I would only do it if I had a decent amount of money offered to me. Well, I'd ask for a decent amount of money from them. Like, I would counter them and be like, hey, can you do this, right? And if you can't, then I'm going to just go look elsewhere because I don't need you guys, right? By the way, if you need help with getting out of debt so that you can be in more of a financial position of like strength so that if you got screwed over by your company, you can basically give them the finger in a very kind way. Like, nah, I don't really got to work for you. So uh, yeah, unless you guys pay me more, I don't really got to deal with you. So if you want to learn how to get out of debt so that you can live a much better life and a lot stronger financial foundation, go to 40bucks.com as well. So let's continue to on the next story so let's see so 3x leveraged etf for a long-term investment and if you don't know what leverage means it means basically using debt or margin hi last year i put some money in a 3x leveraged etfs and the results have been tremendous roughly plus 130 percent this past year which is pretty amazing but it's leveraged so I know leveraged ETFs are a high-risk investment, but it's constantly going up, and I'd feel silly cashing out, missing out on a great return. Can someone shine a light on long-term investment practices when it comes to leveraged ETFs, and is it not viable in the long term at all? Should I just take the money and reinvest it in a safer ETF? I have midterm goals, buy a house within four years, nothing pressing, and I'd rather be safe then sorry thanks so here's the thing right people need to be very wary of doing anything leveraged right because it only works when it's working it only works when things are good but guess what life isn't perfect you are not perfect nor are your choices perfect right so with that truth to understand that factual statement that nothing is perfect well guess what this could end very badly and this is with anything in life anytime you use money that you do not have to go and do something you just bring a lot more risk into your life, right? So if I was this individual, right? If I was in this position, if I did this, what I would do is liquidate everything, pay the taxes, all that kind of stuff, right? And then put it into a long-term investment, could be an ETF as well, 
but more like an S&P 500 that has a very long track record of having having basically like an average annual return of like 8 to 12% per year because then I know my money is a little bit more safer and pretty much basically every seven years is going to double, right? So let's say you have $100,000 in there, seven years from now, it's gonna be 200, seven years from that, 400, seven years from that, 800, and so on and so on and so on, right? And that's just the compounding nature of it, right? Compounding interest. So that's the route that I would go right now it could also be a mutual fund it doesn't really necessarily matter too much but the thing is people need to stop relying so heavily on margin or leverage right like even though technically speaking you can make a lot more money you could also lose a lot more money right And the thing is, like, you know, people always want to get, like, get rich quick and all that kind of stuff, right? But the thing is, if you're simply just consistent, you'll become a millionaire, right? Like, it's been shown in multiple studies, right? If you basically just invested into, like, the S&P 500 or, like, with mutual funds, like, very, like, simple, simple investing, right? Where it basically compounds basically every seven years and you put, like, basically, I think, $400 minimum every single month into it you'll retire a millionaire right and that's not even like factoring in like 401ks where you might have a match or Roth IRAs and all that kind of stuff right or like potentially you know very possible high income bonuses or increases in your life right because typically no one goes downward when it comes to income they typically go upward right so you might start your career making like $10,000 a year all the way up to about like one hundred to two hundred thousand dollars a year by the time that you're almost retiring, right? Now, some people don't always go that route. Some people might only make like thirty grand for the whole time of their life, right? But here's the thing: everybody, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, has the potential and the opportunity to go and make more money, which in turn means that you could potentially just go and put more money towards investments, right? So I would rather sell and put way more money into these ETFs with their own money instead of borrowing it from, like, let's say, Robinhood or some other stock trading app or something like that, right? Like, again, stay away from leverage things because nobody factors in the amount of potential high risk that comes with it right like for example let's say that you were to buy a house in cash right would you then go take a loan for the full price of that house to go buy a flip like a house to flip meaning you'd have to renovate it and then flip it immediately right? No, you would not do that, right? Now, you might rent out your house to go buy a brand new house, right? I could see someone doing that, but no, you wouldn't just go and like take a loan out of your, you know, primary residence for a potential flip, right? Like that's crazy, right? Or you wouldn't basically, you know, leverage your house so that you could go and put that money, borrowed money, 
onto like a potential business opportunity. Like you wouldn't go and do that, right? Like you wouldn't go a million dollars to start like a dental practice just after school, right? After just becoming like a dentist, like legally, right? Like you wouldn't go and do that. That is just stupid, right? You'd probably work a few years as a dentist under someone's name or in someone's practice and then make your own practice, right? So just be careful. Stay away from them. Leverage. Stay away from debt pretty much at all costs, right? Because debt is one of those few things that pretty much the majority of people are going to be negatively affected by it in some way, shape, or form. So if you want to learn how to get out of debt, go to 40 So now we're going to check out the other story. So U.S. Bank opened a checking account in my name without my permission. So the other day, I got a statement in the mail at my home address from U.S. Bank. I don't have any accounts at U.S. Bank. I have never had any accounts at U.S. Bank. And the statement was a standard-looking monthly statement for a U.S. Bank checking account in my name. There were no transactions. It showed a balance of $0. Now, I thought this might be a prelude to some type of fraud, perhaps transferring money from my real bank account. I tried to log in to this U.S. Bank account on their website. I went through the process to register a username for my account, and they said they would text me a code to my number ending in XXXX, last four digits of a phone number I've never had. So I couldn't do that. I called US Bank and told the customer service rep what was going on. She immediately forwarded me to the fraud department. Now the fraud guide looked up my account and told me that it was opened by their back office about three weeks ago. He seemed unconcerned. Red flag, right? (laughs) He said to wait a week and see if I get something in the mail explaining it. If not, call back and they can close it. Did this ever happen to anyone? I'm wondering what is going on. Now, personally, I've never heard of something like this going on, so let's look into the comments of this, but I think this is pretty sketchy and most likely is fraud. So let's see. So that seems really strange to me. If you have not looked at your credit report recently, you might want to get a copy. You might have been a victim of identity theft, and there might be other accounts open in your name. That is not necessarily the case, but it would be good to check. I agree with that. That's a very sound like advice to go and do because it seems very sketchy that a bank that you've never conducted business with at all it's trying to open up an account in your name or has actually opened an account in your name. That seems really odd. Okay, let's see. So, okay, just checked my credit report. There were three recent inquiries. All were around a month ago. Two were from Capital One, one Utah office, the other Virginia. The other was from America First Credit Union, Utah. And I think those are just marketing things, but I'm not sure. I put the freeze on my credit, that's pretty smart, and I guess that makes it harder for new accounts to be opened under my name. I'm wondering how effective that is. I mean, it is actually pretty effective to freeze your uh, your credit, your accounts, and all that stuff, but still, this is very sketchy. Let's see... 
Okay, so yeah, this is fraud. Someone is probably going to try and cash bad checks on that account. Get it shut down ASAP. Don't wait for anything. Tell them it's fraud and you want it gone now. I would actually agree with this, right? Because I don't understand the whole waiting for a week thing, right? Because they should immediately close that account if you did not open it, right? Like, there's nothing stopping them. Because you could basically, like, send them a photo of your ID and be like, hey, close that account. I never opened that account, and it has my information, so close that account. It is obviously fraud, right? So that's actually probably something that I would do. Like, if I was in that person's situation, that's what I would do. I'd call them and be like, no, 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 I'm not going to wait a week. Close that account right now, right? Because if this person's using my information or someone is opening this account with my information and I have never done business with you guys ever before, close this account. That's what I would do in this situation. But also, this person says, there is no reason that an account should have been opened in your name. In fact, Wells Fargo got into deep doo-doo for this not too long ago. Check credit report, demand account closure ASAP. Again, yeah, demand the account closure. I have to agree. Like, It doesn't make any sense for you to wait a week to get it closed just because they think, oh, you know, maybe something will show up with this information. Like, no. And by the way, why the hell is the back office of a bank opening an account in your name? Period. End of story. Why the hell are they doing that? That makes no sense. So let's get into the next story, which, by the way, go to 40inbox.com to learn how to get a debt. So this one says, so at our house, what's the smartest thing to do with the profits? My wife and I, both 35, sold our house about a month ago and moved into an apartment, wanted a lifestyle change, nothing to do with our financial situation. So basically, they're probably doing pretty well. So we were very fortunate in that the housing market in our area was very hot. And we ended up walking away with about $160,000. Now, that is juicy, which is currently just sitting in our checking account. To be honest, is making me a little nervous to have so much money in there. A few additional financial details. Well, here's the thing before we continue. I got to say, if you have $160,000 in your account, that's got to look so nice, right? Like if anyone ends up like some like stumbling upon this episode, right? Like, imagine if you just had a hundred and sixty thousand dollars in your account, and you're probably like debt free. But let's get into it. So the combined annual income one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. That's very nice. Combined four hundred one k accounts seventy seven thousand dollars. My wife is contributing ten percent of the paycheck. I'm contributing 20%. Unfortunately, right now, neither of us are getting employer match. Eh. Yeah, that's... Eh, I don't know about that. I'd rather do a Roth. So high yield savings account, $20,000. Safety net account hit $20,000 a few years ago, and we haven't added or withdrawn from it since. Okay, so I guess this is their safety net account, which is the 20000 And then their checking account is $167,000. Now, I wouldn't necessarily put that amount of money, the one hundred sixty, in the uh, checking account. Paid off student loans, no credit card debt, no car loans. That is beautiful. I love this right now, right? 
They're in such a good financial position. No kids, no plans to have any. Not really sure we have much to save for other than retirement. So we want to continue renting in the media future, but I would say chances are fairly good that at some point in the next five to ten years, we might be interested in home ownership again. So what to do with the extra money? The two ideas that seem to make the most sense are funnel some of it into our 401ks by increasing paycheck contributions. We could both max out this year at the very least, and squirrel a large chunk of it away to use as a down payment on a future house. Somewhere between one hundred thirty-five thousand and one hundred fifty thousand dollars. We only put five percent down when we originally bought the house that we just sold, and paying PMI every month sucked. So my questions are: Where would you move that down payment on a future house money to, so we could easily withdraw it if we needed to, but would be separate from our other accounts, and maybe making a bit of extra money for us in the meantime? And should maxing out our 401ks be the absolute top priority moving forward? Any additional investing you would be considering on top of 401ks if you were in our shoes? Appreciate any and all thoughts and feedback. So I'll answer this if I was in their position, right? So because their goal is to most likely potentially buy a house in the next five years, I'd probably put. Pretty much, almost all of this money into basically an index fund, basically an ETF on like the S and P five hundred, right? Something very conservative that has a pretty much a proven track record of having a very decent annual return every single year, right? Because it's basically average, I think about like ten to twelve percent every single year. It can basically about compound. Pretty much, like like basically double your money pretty much every seven years. So the one hundred sixty thousand dollars could potentially be closer to about three hundred thousand dollars within the five year mark, five to seven year mark, right? And look, it basically is where they could potentially make a decent amount of money while having their money pretty safe, like not really too risky of a thing to go and do that, but also at the same time. If we don't end up like again, saying if I was in their position, if I don't end up buying a house later on, I could keep renting, right? Like, here's the thing: there's nothing technically wrong with renting a home. You just gotta really think about what's right for the lifestyle that you want. Because here's the thing, right? You gotta understand this too. This couple is completely debt-free, meaning. They can literally go and do whatever they want because they have no payments to anyone that they owe money to, right? They have that freedom to go and do whatever they want, right? If they want to go buy a home, technically speaking, they could go buy a cheap home in cash, and again, have freedom as well. Or they could just keep all of their money into like investments that pay them a certain amount of return that is more hands off. Right, so they could just rent a, an apartment here, maybe rent an apartment later on in like a different state, maybe rent another apartment to a different country, right? Because with the position that they're in financially, with the foundation that they have financially, they have the freedom 
to go and do whatever they want. So if they're more leaning towards like, oh, let's just like rent in like different locations all the time, they can go and do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. And they have the financial freedom and flexibility to go and do something like that. So that's the way that I would approach it, especially if they're like not planning on having kids or anything like that. Like, there's not really much point to really put all your money into a house if you're probably leaning more towards, like, traveling all over the place, which I get the feeling that that's probably where they're leaning towards, that they want to have the freedom to go and, like, just grab a backpack and, like, leave whenever they want, right? If that's more like them, that's the route that I would go, right? But I love that they're in a great financial situation. But again, yeah, if you want to go buy a house, buy it in cash or put like 20% down because you don't want to pay PMI. PMI is just stupid to pay, absolutely stupid to pay when you have no reason to pay that at all, period, end of story. By the way, if you want to learn how to get out of debt so that you have similar freedoms like these individuals to where they could just basically go and do whatever they want now because they don't owe people anything, go check out 40 Box. Dot com and learn the secret to mastering your money and getting out of debt. So the next story, where's the best place to hold $25,000 emergency fund? Would also like to be able to keep a largest sinking funds. So being able to withdraw, not necessarily immediately, but as needed would be great too. Looking at Basque Bank, which gives mileage points for saving or other banks giving deposit bonuses. Is 0.4% really the best high yield available? Absolutely not. There's like high yield savings accounts on there that are online. I think it's like Ally and other banks as well that provide over a 1% uh, yield. But again, here's the thing. An emergency fund is, guess what? An emergency fund, not an investment fund. So the way to really look at it is that really what this person is asking is that they want to have a checking account where they have funds that they can basically keep spending money without necessarily going into debt for and also having an emergency fund, right? So if anything, what I would do, right, is I'd probably put $20,000 into an emergency fund, it could be high yield. You could find something that's like, you know, 1% or higher, right? Most likely an online bank account. And then put $5,000 into a checking account, right? Based off what this person's asking, right? So that pretty much you could keep, you know, basically have it like linked to your debit card, the $5,000 where basically it's like, oh yeah, you know, you can spend money on it if you need to spend money or if you just want to spend money, but not really care too much about it basically, right? But have the $20,000 in a place where it's harder for you to actually access it because it's supposed to be for emergencies. That's the point of an emergency fund is for it to be emergencies, okay? So stay tuned for more episodes. Check it out for you know the next day and all that. Stay tuned for more. Subscribe, like that sort of stuff and whatnot. Feel free to submit your own personal finance stories or questions at 40inbox.com. And you can learn how to get out of debt at 40inbox.com. And we'll see you in future episodes. Hey, this podcast is sponsored by 
our personal finance courses. So if you have problems with mastering your money and you need help, go down below and learn how to master your money. And this is a plan that anyone of any income level can follow. It is simple and easy to follow for any income level in any situation and it's very straight to the point. And if you want to learn how to make money online, go down below as well. And we'll see you in future episodes.